Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, for your presence here with us. I pray that as we learn today from these verses in Luke, God, that just for each of us, we are able to locate ourselves in this gospel reading, Lord. I pray that we can act on what we learn today, Lord, and that you speak through me. We pray these things in your name. Good morning. I'm Kimberly. If I haven't met you, which I'm relatively new here, so there's a good chance I have not met you. I'm one of the priests here at Church of the Cross, and it's a pleasure to be able to share a word with you all on these verses from Luke today. The gospel reading, of course, is found in Luke, and it is commonly known as the Sermon on the Plain. But oftentimes people aren't as familiar with the Sermon on the Plain. They are typically more familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the book of Matthew. In these verses, as is his way, Jesus tells the truth, right? He does not shy away from truth-telling or maybe what might feel like kind of a hard word. So brace yourselves. There is hope in today's message, but there are also important things for us to hear that may challenge us here and now, individually, as families, as a church. The theologian Justo Gonzalez calls this a hard-hitting gospel and that God's good news to the poor is also a tough message to those who are not poor. In order for God's reign to be good news for the wealthy, the privileged, the admired, and the well-fed, they must also have to wake up and change their ways. In his gospel, Luke seems to draw our attention to the poor and to God's care for them, and we see that all throughout the gospel of Luke. We also see it in Acts. Take, for example, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. In this um, story, we see that the rich man who dresses fine every day in purple and in linen has a beggar, Lazarus, outside his gate. And Lazarus has nothing to eat. He's not well. And when they both die, the rich man finds himself in Hades. And when he looks up, he sees Lazarus with Abraham. He begs Abraham to have pity on him. But Abraham reminds him that in his lifetime on earth, he received good things, and Lazarus did not. And now Lazarus is comforted, and the rich man is in agony. We see a similar story in Luke 12 with the man who built two barns. And in each of these instances, riches distract them from the ways of God, and they lead these men from a rich life now to a not-so-rich life in the hereafter. We see real-life examples of this today and in many places. You probably are beginning to maybe even think of some of those examples. We see it with pastors turned celebrities becoming distracted by power and influence. Friends or family, perhaps, that have become more driven to grow their reputation or to go to just the right school or have just the right job rather than growing in their relationship with Christ and with others around them. And perhaps we found ourselves at times distracted by the next big thing, our ego, status, and led away from God. 
This is a reality for all of us, just as much as the crowd that we see gathered there listening to Jesus that day. And we need to hear this word from Jesus. In the Sermon on the Plain, rather than eight blessings or beatitudes like we see in Matthew, we see four blessings and four woes that correspond with the blessings. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, it takes up three chapters, chapters five, six, and seven. And here, this just takes up a few verses in Luke. In the Gospel of Matthew, it tends to focus on Jesus as teacher. But here in Luke, we see him focusing on the humanity of Jesus. When preaching about the Sermon on the Plain, as I was just kind of reading through some things and looking at other sermons and what people had to say, the temptation can be to spend most of the time focused on the differences or comparing Matthew and Luke. But here we have a really rich text in and of its own, a sermon from Jesus that has so many important threads we can pull on. As I was preparing the sermon, I decided to do a little bit of research, if you can call it that, on the hashtag blessed. And I should pause briefly to say, blessed or blessed, up to you. Peter and I had a conversation this week. I say amen, amen or amen, up to you. I'm going to say blessed. Um, so hashtag blessed, right? We see it everywhere. Um, I just briefly looked on Instagram, and on Instagram alone, there are 141 million tags using the word blessed. On Twitter, in just one hour this past Friday, it was used 5,270 times. The term blessed was attached to things that you're probably like imagining them. Photos of family gathered together, a post about someone walking away unharmed from a car wreck. There's also kind of this irony that people who think that like hashtag blessed is used too much, right? Who make fun of it, so there's lots of that too. It seems that the word blessed is all around us. It's used in Christian spaces, but oftentimes not, right? Arguably, the term has been watered down a bit from when Jesus used it here in the Sermon on the Plain. So I decided that if I was going to do some research on the term blessed, that I also better look up the, the word woe. So for most of us, woe is not a part of our everyday vocabulary. I don't know about you all, but we're not walking around our house, you know, saying woe all the time. For the word woe, W-O-E, I found only 174,000 tags on Instagram. Most of them were videos and photos of like amazing stunts, beautiful people. It was clear that for, for most people, using W-O-E, woe, which means great sorrow or distress, they were misunderstanding the word. So I didn't find any hashtags for woe, meaning great sorrow or distress, I did find lots for W-H-O-A or a lot of W-O-E's that meant like excitement, something amazing, right? We would much rather focus on the blessings, not the woes, or at least I would. I don't want to like assume that about you all, but I think we even see that like if we just do this quick little research like I did, like blessings, woes, nobody's hashtagging woe, but they are hashtagging blessed. Just prior to today's message in Luke, Jesus has selected the 12, and rather than remaining on top of the mountain, away from others, isolated, he comes down from the mountain onto an even plain. And the reading tells us that there are a lot of people, a crowd from all over gathered around. The people who were there were gathered primarily to be healed, but they also got to hear this penetrating word from Jesus, 
the announcement of the arrival of the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom, as some call it. They came to hear and to be healed. There was excitement all around, an energy as the crowd gathered and was waiting for Jesus. But the energy, it doesn't come from this crowd. It comes from the word of God that is injected into the crowd. The power was coming out of Jesus and healing everyone, as verse 19 says. The people present that day, they got to hear Jesus open a drastically different worldview from their own that even today should leave us in awe and feeling a bit challenged, stirring something up in each of us. Jesus talks about a place that is radically different from the rule of Caesar, radically different from the nation that we live in, And these verses, they put us on a level playing field with those that were there to hear this today, that day, the 12 and the multitude that was gathered. Jesus speaks directly to these new disciples, and the crowd has never heard anyone teach this way. Just as we see in John 7, when the chief priests and Pharisees sent the temple police to arrest Jesus, but they return empty-handed, When they're asked why they didn't bring Jesus back, they say, no one ever spoke the way this man does. And I'd imagine that the crowd gathered here during the Sermon on the Plain felt the same way. Jesus' message, it still hits that way today. It's unlike anything we've ever heard. It's easy in our everyday lives, I think, to forget that, to forget just how radical and life-changing it can be. He brings salvation to the world by bringing the kingdom of heaven into the world. He brings good news to the poor. Just as his power was injected into the crowd that day, the kingdom of heaven is injected into our world. Through the teachings of Jesus, the people gathered that day, they delighted in the promise of the coming kingdom of heaven. And we should notice, too, that Jesus is talking in the second person. He is saying, blessed are you, Aida. Blessed are you, Florence. Blessed are you, Church of the Cross. But he is also saying, woe to you, Kimberly. Woe to you, Church of the Cross. This feels a bit more pointed or close to home than the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't shy away here from a word that was likely hard for many to hear then and is likely hard for us to hear now. And why does he say that the people who are poor and hungry and weeping and persecuted are blessed? He proclaimed this because this was good news to those people. This was the good news that he came to share. Jesus didn't come so that everything would just remain the same. He came with a word for the least, the lost, the lonely. And the blessings and woes, he is bringing news that reveals a reversal in the way that the world works. It is a complete upheaval. In the kingdom of heaven, those who have the least invested in the current way that the world works, they are the most ready to receive this newness. This message that Jesus shared, it revitalized the messianic hope that so many had and so many of the people that were gathered there that day had. It was a word of hope for the poor. Unlike the ways in which it's applied today, the word blessed in Luke, it refers to being aware and the present of having a place in the movement towards the kingdom of heaven. To be blessed is to put your trust in God and not in wealth or power or comfort. To be blessed does not mean an absence of struggle, though. As we see, 
in this community as they move towards the kingdom of heaven, there can be hatred or exclusion. For many who are identified as blessed, that is true, right? They're often not included. They are often those who are on the margin. So certainly there's struggle and suffering. For most of us, a message like the one found here today is easier or perhaps more welcomed when what's currently happening isn't working for us. If you're on the top of a certain social order, then you're likely not interested in radical change. And thus, the concept of blessings and woes may not be so appealing. But when you are on the bottom, you don't have anything to lose. For many of us, we've been in both places at different times. We've been on the top and the bottom, and maybe even there are times where we've kind of been in both places at the same time. To be on the top, though, it is to live under the verdict of woe. The woeful may not experience obvious discomfort in this life. They are likely the ones in our society that we see as on the top with the most, and we assume that their lives are perfect and happy and comfortable. But those who are in the woe, they mistake the wealth and the overflowing tables and good times and other privileges that they enjoy as God's highest purpose, like the rich man in Luke 16. If you are ready for your life and the world to change, Jesus and his kingdom will be a blessing. Even if that means that there are things that you have to give up or change about your life, Jesus' way will still be a blessing if you don't want things to change, though, if you want things to remain the same, Jesus and his kingdom bring woes. But wrapped up in those woes are a challenge, I think, for each of us. The challenge will look different depending on your circumstances. Those who are blessed and those who hear the prophetic woe find that their circumstances will be reversed. Poor and rich, hungry and filled, weeping and laughing, hated and admired, are in the very process of being reversed or will be. So how do we, individually, as a church, as families, as community groups, how do we manifest the values and the practices of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of our everyday lives, which might feel sort of mundane, we may not feel as if we have much influence or power? If we can do this, though, if we consider, if we can consider how we might do this, then we too can experience the blessings that we hear here in Luke. As a church, we are overall a people and a parish of great privilege. We're not all exactly the same, but we live in the wealthiest nation in the world, in a city that is unaffordable for most. We are preparing to purchase this property. The wealth gap, food deserts, the education gap, the health gap, all of these gaps that we hear about, they exist here in Austin. These gaps, they mark the two sides of the blessings and the woes. They are the gaps that this passage points us toward addressing. For God's sake, for our own sake, and for the sake of others. We are also called to repent of what we have not done, knowing that God gives us new opportunities to live with generosity and attention to what is happening around us. So even if this feels discouraging, remember that we are a people who can repent and change our ways. Are we building hope and security in temporal things now? 
It's important as we meditate on this text, I think, to find ourselves in it individually, as households, and as a church. How might we move toward closing these gaps? Between the blessings and the woes, who within our congregation, our neighborhoods and city, is living on the other side of the gap from us? And what things are we holding on to that we see as blessings but may actually be woes? This is, of course, not meant to bring shame or imply that it is better to be poor or hungry or that God only loves us when we are uncomfortable. That is not the brunt of the words that are found here in this passage today. They are promises, though. They are promises to those who are suffering in this world that God sees them. He loves them, and he is intent on their thriving. Jesus' words are also warning calls to those, his hearers, that they are called to live with attention and generosity toward their neighbors, even as God is attentive and generous toward us. Luke wants us to avoid condemnation by repenting and joining a life following Jesus, which means putting our material resources at the service of community. A simple example for us As a community, I think, especially in regards to us very soon owning this property, it's considering what does that mean for us? How do we have attention and focus toward those in our community with this space? And I think over the last few weeks, we've heard ideas like that from people. We heard Sarah share about how a church, a space, blessed her and her family when she was young. And there are so many ways, creative ways, that we can think about that as a community. And I invite all of you to be meditating on that and praying about that as we move toward closing on this building. How can we use this material resource that we have to help close that gap in our city, among our neighbors, the people living around this building. God is creating a realm. He is bringing it to life among us by that same power that emanated from Jesus that day in the Sermon on the Plain. God is creating a place which no one is hungry or mourning or poor or disregarded. In Luke 12, we are reminded that we are called to continue to live lives that are rich toward God, no matter how long it seems to be taking for God's reign to be fully present. We have the power within us to give people a foretaste of that kingdom of heaven that is coming, but it is present in different ways here and now. I'd like to close with this image. It's known as the Pantocrator, an icon of Christ. And so this is a really old icon. It's one of the first known images of Christ developed. It's in a monastery called St. Catherine's. And you'll notice that the left side of Jesus' face looks a little bit different than the right side. Oftentimes people think that's just sort of like a mistake, like the artist didn't really know what he was doing. But actually it has something to say to us. On the left side, we see an openness, a tenderness, sorrow, compassion, a readiness to look upon us. For a lot of us, those are the attributes of Christ that we feel drawn to. They make us feel safe. They make us feel drawn to him. Those are often his most popular attributes. But then on the right side, you may notice that it looks a little more like maybe like a father's sternness, a judge's command, a person not to be trifled with. 
We see in this the two sides of Christ, the blessings and the woes. Yes, Christ is our Father. He loves us dearly, but also he has a challenge for us. He didn't come, again, just to keep everything exactly the same, to keep us comfortable. He has a challenge for each of us. And again, that looks different. It looks different for us individually, as groups, as families, as a church. But there's a challenge in this word, in the blessings and in the woes. And I invite us as we move forward into this week to just consider that, to begin to consider the blessings and the woes, how we can move forward with attention and compassion towards those who are experiencing poverty or hunger or marginalization. Amen.